Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. You're listening to Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve on the Riotcast Network. Riotcast.com. I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart bone, exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast it with the wave, an ultrasonic, echographic, and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments, the health equivalent to Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease. It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve, and this is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you've got a question, you're embarrassed to take your, uh, to your regular medical provider. Or if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347-POOHEAD. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse, practitioner, physician, assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right, very good. Uh, for this show, this is a special extra show. We will dispense with the plugs, although if you want to go to stuff.drsteve.com and uh, you know do your Amazon shopping there, I won't argue with you. But uh, this week, um, we have Dr. Arnold Hopland, who is a local physician here, and he's been on the Today Show and a couple of things because he was on the Diamond Princess cruise ship that was in the news, uh, which was uh, the focus of the er- very early story of uh, COVID-19, which is the disease caused by the virus called SARS-CoV-2. I wanted to get this out there to you just as quickly as we possibly could, and uh, here's the interview 
with Dr. Arnold Hopland. You're listening to Weird Medicine. I have the pleasure of having uh, Dr. Arnold Hopland, who's our, our our lives have crossed sort of peripherally in the past. He's in general practice in East Tennessee and uh, carries the distinction of being one of the uh, folk that was uh, on the Diamond Princess um, cruise ship when the uh, COVID-19 or uh, 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 outbreak uh, started. Um, it, just for baseline purposes, SARS-CoV-2 is the virus that causes COVID-19. Dr. Hoplin, how did this start? You're, at, you're on vacation and you're enjoying yourself. And the next thing you know, you're uh, embroiled in uh, sort of a catastrophe that uh, resulted in you being on this ship for six weeks instead of, what, one week, two weeks, whatever. Yep, Tell it, 12 days. Give yeah. us the Reader's <laughs> Digest story of what well, happened. Well, uh, we embarked on the cruise that was going to leave Yokohama, Japan, uh, going on to uh, Kawa, Kawasaki and then, and then uh, and, uh, Hong Kong, Vietnam, Couple of ports in Vietnam, wow. back to Taiwan. Very exotic cruise, uh, and then uh, 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 back to Japan. Well, <clears throat> the cruise was completed in the normal manner of cruises, and we had our luggage in the hallway with tags on it, ready to leave the ship in Yokohama Harbor after the cruise was over. And the captain announced our. Disembarking, uh, disembarkment will be uh, delayed 24 hours while the Japanese health authorities inspect the ship. Okay. So, so that at this day, point, you don't know anything's going on. We had no message other than figured maybe they're going to go and see if there were some cockroaches in the kitchen or sure, something. Sure, of course. And uh, so we spent that day uh, wandering around the ship, uh, uh, playing some card games and... Uh, and of course, hanging out at the buffet a good part of the time. Of course. And after dinner, at the regular dinner hour, we went to our regular regular dinner seating, and we were asked to go to our cabins. <clears throat> when we got in our cabins, the announcement was made: the ship has been placed under quarantine, and you must stay in your cabin for the next two weeks. <laughs> However, we're going to open up the Wi-Fi for everyone, no charge. Okay. <laughs> and the ship phones can be used free of charge. That's you need to call home and uh, tell people you're not going to make it home. Okay. Uh, as soon as they made that announcement, I thought, we have a problem uh, because this ship clearly is not designed as a quarantine facility. Right. Uh, there's no way to have a red zone to keep some people secure, uh, a yellow zone for a suspicious uh contacts and in uh, a green zone for the safety there was no possibility of separate everybody was in one zone so it was not going to be a quarantine the japanese said they did not have the capacity to to um, handle so many uh, people there were about 4,4200 people roughly on the boat so my initial thought was they'll have a sh short delay while well, they prepare for some shore facilities for quarantine. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I assumed that the U.S. Embassy would immediately jump on the fact that we had almost 400 Americans on board, and we have a 1,000 military beds right there in Tokyo. Right. 
be no problem at all uh, quarantining the Americans right. separately. So there was no problem, right? So I didn't. They, I thought, well, okay, <laughs> there's going to be a little delay here, and then we get off the ship. Yeah. But meanwhile, of course, uh, we had canceled our airline reservation on the fourth of February, and uh, rebooked for the fifth. <clears throat> we called the airline again and said it's going to be a couple more weeks, and they said, "Tell you what, whenever you find that you can leave." Call us, and we'll give you full credit, and you can fly back. So very helpful immediately. Um, because the Wi-Fi was operational, I was able to uh, email the embassy. And so I stepped through a couple of things uh, on email to the embassy, never got a response of any kind, uh, identified that we were on the ship and who we were. Um, and then we hunkered down for a couple of days, during which time I tried to use the ship phone about every 90 minutes for three days straight, day and night. Right. The, the about, phone that they said. About the third or fourth day <laughs> yeah. after 4,200 uh, 4, people had uh, gotten done talking to <laughs> right, their right, friends right. and relatives. In the middle of the night, I about 3 in the morning, I dialed uh, my son, uh, I think it was, it was Steve, who happened to be down in Florida at the moment, uh, uh, and and I was about to hang the phone up with another busy signal, and I heard a ring. I thought, well, I got through. I was shocked at it. I told Steve, I said, Steve, you got to activate my cell phone. I haven't got an international calling. He said, I'll get Dewey to do that, and the phone went dead. Apparently, they were, they were cutting the calls to uh, 60 seconds or something. Okay. So we didn't have any conversation. But within an hour, my cell phone was working. And I could call back to the U.S. At that point, it was still daytime. It was beginning late in the day by the time I realized that had happened. In Late in the day here in uh, Tennessee. We were 14 hours ahead of Tennessee in Tokyo. So I was already could tell you what was going to happen the next day when I called you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how that works. I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> so as I talk about what happened, people often say, well, which day did this thing happen? I say, well, where are you at? <laughs> right, right, right. And so I, I kind of got a fuzz about which day, because I was talking about being Wednesday once, the next person I'm talking to, it's, it's Tuesday. Right. <clears throat> uh, so it's hard to keep a real you know, line-by-line sequence of what occurred. But after I made that first contact... I realized then they intended to keep us in quarantine on the boat. And the all of the communication we got was through the ship's um, paper that they sent out every day saying that, you know, the U.S. Uh, uh, CDC has recommended that, that uh, U.S. citizens follow the um, dictates of the Japanese health authorities. Okay. When it became apparent that they intended to leave us on the ship. I got uh, I got through to my son, Kenny Hoplin, who's also a, a physician at Elizabethan, and told him the situation. And he immediately saw the same problem I did. This, this can't possibly work. We need to get off that boat and get into a quarantine. And my suggestion is that we be treated exactly like those in Wuhan. By the third day, I think we were up to... 70 or 80 people out of 4,000 yeah. infected. And it was clearly increasing every day. Okay. So uh, um, I said, we need to be treated like the folk in Wuhan. We need a rescue flight, and then we need to go into quarantine. And those people who are positive need to be 
treated appropriately, and those who are not need to be quarantined to ensure that they're not carrying the virus. So when you say the ship wasn't appropriate for quarantine, for a lot of people, they think just keep everybody on there and keep them offshore so that they're not, to them, that is quarantine. Tell us what you mean by this ship wasn't appropriate. This wasn't the right way to quarantine people. Well, uh, it, it seems technical, but it's not that uh, you have to you have to separate groups of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who are infected need to be separated from people who might be infected right. Otherwise, or close contacts. Eventually. And they need to be separated from folk who clearly are not infected. Okay. And so in order to get that group, number one is we had been on a 12-day um, uh, cruise and an individual who had been on the ship, uh, it departed in Hong Kong, and that was on day five, I think, and was found five or six days later to have the COVID-19 virus. Okay. So we had been exposed for the whole two weeks. Right. Uh, at that time, I didn't know the rate of infection. I have since talked to virologists to say that the average person infected will probably infect a minimum of four people, maybe as high as seven. That's almost hard to believe because smallpox is a factor of two. Right. Measles is a factor of two, and those are highly contagious right. diseases. And we talk about smallpox on this show all the time. And they have geometric they have geometric uh, um, uh, uh, exposure rates. So it's, so quarantines in those cases are hard to control. Mm-hmm. This thing was dramatically more infective. Right. Um, so having that period of time, it was clear that there were probably 40, 50, or maybe many more uh, infected on the boat because uh, the person who was on the boat had no idea that he was infected. And he had interacted in a normal way on the cruise. And in a cruise uh, with the entertainment, everybody's in a small theater um, at the buffet. Everybody's uh, uh, next to each other. And and so there's a lot of close contact, uh, much more so than any other setting I can think of. Uh, So I knew that there were a lot of infected people on the boat. They weren't identified because the Japanese said they were not able to test. So my thought is we need to get off here. We need to be separated and then properly tested and quarantined, as they did with the Wuhan uh, evacuees. Uh, Kenny immediately – oh, uh, another thing about the quarantine. Uh, There are balcony cabins, and those balconies are stacked one above the other and right beside each other, and so there's a huge communication even if people stay in their staterooms. The crew were restaurant and hotel workers, well-trained in cleaning and well-trained in hospitality, but no medical training, whatever. They didn't know how to properly put on a pair of gloves and not contaminate the gloves. Right. Uh, and, and, in fact, the gloves they used were these uh, these plastic gloves that tear when you put them on, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Right. Uh, and uh, they, they didn't have any uh, legitimate masks. They had the kind of masks that you use... Um, uh, painters would use them when they <laughs> mix and paint or something so they just don't get paint spray in their face. And it was the sort of thing that would be used in the cafeteria serving line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, the quarantine was going to be maintained by non-medical personnel uh, in a setting where they were in complete close contact with each other, working elbow to elbow in the kitchen, and then distributing the food throughout the ship. 
as as they had never been planned to do. They and they never got food service for uh, three thousand passengers on the same day before. And the first couple of days, we got some pretty much thrown together food. It was cold and in two, three, four hours late. Yeah. And the and the ships. Uh, um, uh, stewards and so forth, they were just very apologetic about their performance. And they brought it up quickly till we were getting gourmet meals three times a day. Uh, biggest problem was Japanese don't drink coffee. And uh, and I they had a choice of coffee, tea, or um, water in the buffet and restaurants. And so I, so I had been drinking, normally I would have three or four cups of coffee a day, probably six or eight cups of coffee a day. On the third day, with no coffee, it dawned on me, I'm getting a dull headache. Uh-oh. And my wife said, you're getting a caffeine withdrawal headache. <laughs> and and I right, right away, I right, that had happened to me one time before when I was in a situation where I, I was cut off from coffee after drinking large amounts. And I quit coffee for a long time because I thought anything that gives me withdrawal symptoms, I'm not going to have any part of. Right. Since then, I've studied coffee, and it's the only stimulant I know of that does almost no downside to it, except for gastritis and, and disturbed sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it can help you to be very alert and problem-solving. As an engineer, uh, I, I would tank up with a couple of candy bars and a cup of coffee if I really had a tough problem I was going to work on for six or eight hours. Sure. Uh, I had, interestingly enough, purchased about four pounds of coffee in Vietnam. Vietnam is actually a coffee supplier. I to wasn't aware of that. And I own a small coffee shop in in uh, Johnson City called Open Doors, uh, run by Michael Marion. And, uh, and he is an expert. He asked me to get some Vietnamese coffee for him. Because I bought the four pounds, that was a lot bigger. Most people bought a half a pound or a small little bag. Uh, they threw in a little device for cook, uh, for brewing single cups of coffee, <laughs> which amounted to, it looked like, be like a small tin cup with uh, tiny holes in the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. You'd put your coffee in, and then you pour the boiling water, which is normally used for tea, over it, and you could brew a cup of coffee. Sure. My wife reminded me of that, and we dug around our luggage, and sure enough, there it was. And so now I could make coffee. And it was very good coffee. <laughs> very good. And my headache was instantly, but the first uh, first cup I had no idea how much coffee to put in this thing, and so I thought it might take a, quite a bit. And I made uh, about 12 to 14 ounces of a thick syrup that would make uh, uh, espresso at, uh, uh, at Starbucks seem quite mild. Okay. okay. <laughs> that was the cure for that. Believe me, that yeah. was the cure for my headache. And I didn't, I didn't get shaky or, or tachycardia, but uh, yeah. but it did the job. And my wife tasted it and said that she would rather eat raw coffee grounds than drink any of that stuff. <laughs> so, so we anyway. solved the coffee problem. <laughs> right. But that was a big deal. Yeah, sure. A lot of people didn't have that. There were some people who had a worse problem than me. They had an inside cabin. Mine had a porthole, so I had some light. Yeah. Probably the safest place on the boat, actually, because the the cabins that had balconies were in con- communication with the cabins next to each other. There were almost no isolation. Mm-hmm. So I was isolated somewhat, except that 10 times a day or thereabouts, the door was opened while one of the sh- ship's crew brought me something uh, uh, and or, or had to talk to me about something or another. So there was no quarantine, in effect. Um, uh, 
Kenny was able to, uh, that's my son uh, that I called, was able to get a hold of Dr. Phil Rowe, who's a personal friend, <clears throat> physician. He's a congressman. In, and uh, a congressman. In the state of Tennessee. Yeah. And here in the 1st District in Tennessee. So uh, he got Phil, and Phil immediately saw the problem as, as I did and as Kenny did. It, I mean, it, it struck me this, uh, that a fourth grader with any kind of training at all would have recognized it. And within a day, Dr. Kedlak was uh, on the phone with Phil and I, and we talked briefly about the quarantine situation. Uh, I think at that time I told him we were in a Petri dish just waiting to get infected, yeah. and we needed a rescue. Uh, Dr. Cadillac said, "I'm going to text you a phone number, and uh, and I'm going to uh, uh, and I'll text you the time, and I want you to call into this number. We're going to have a conference call. I think it was five five or six in the afternoon when he said that. At about nine o'clock at night in Washington, this is the hard thing to believe. I've never seen anything in Washington move that quick. <laughs> about nine o'clock that night." There was a physician representative from every significant uh, involved department, Homeland Security, NIH, CDC, um, of course, uh, HHS, and, of course, Phil. And uh, we were introduced to each other fairly rapidly. There were 10 physicians on board. Mm-hmm. After I described my concerns, the lady in charge or uh, from the CDC immediately tried to take charge of the call and say, we know what we're doing. We're the professionals. We have arranged with the Japanese authorities. They are in charge right now, and they're doing a great job. Everything's fine. All these cases they're finding on the boat were infected prior to this quarantine, and everything's fine. Okay. And I asked her about six questions, all of which she answered with, I don't know or I suppose. Yeah. There were nine doctors that recognized that every answer is inadequate. Uh, I think it was uh, 12 hours, 14 hours later, I got a call from Dr. Cadillac, and he said, if we send a rescue flight, do you think people will agree to get on and come back to the U.S. Mm -hmm. for a 14-day quarantine here in the U.S.? And and I said, number one, we, we have to agree to it. Number two, we will all be infected if we stay here, right. and and uh, so he he and I had already talked about that possibility with two or three people because of the earlier phone call, and I was quite sure that people would want to get off that boat. There were I was not the only concerned person. Um, it took about two days to get all the political handshakes done and actually get the aircraft on the ground uh, to pick everyone up. At, I think, around 6 o'clock at night, we got a note in our mailbox, and it says, no, pardon me, we got a email from the embassy. No direct call ever was made to any individual. On the, with 400 Americans on the boat, and the embassy didn't. 900 people working in that embassy, and they couldn't contact the people on that boat. Never did. Never did contact. I never got a contact from the embassy that wasn't directed to uh, Diamond Passenger, uh, Diamond Princess Passenger. <laughs> wow. And it would be boilerplate plate, sure. generic information, almost no information. But at any rate, it said, you must answer this email by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning if you want to take the evacuation flight tomorrow night. 
no notice that that was even there. And somebody called me and told me there was an email waiting for me or I wouldn't have even known that that had to be done. Wow. And, of course, I called everybody I knew on the ship and uh, and it got around the ship. And I think... Could I they think not Diamond, make an announcement over the... No, they did not. It didn't make an announcement over the PA there uh, because that was just for the Americans. Oh, okay. And, gotcha. Uh, oh, I see. Anyhow, uh, so I... I gave the information, uh, you know, passport numbers and everything, and, and they asked all kinds of things. They wanted your birth date, and then they wanted your age, like they couldn't do math. Uh, it was a, a little absurdity. But I provided all the information in email, and they, and they said, uh, give an email for each passenger that wants to go. So I did a separate email for myself and then another for my wife. Mm-hmm. I got no response on the one that I sent for my my wife which I did first. But when I sent mine in, I got an automated reply that says, email received. And I thought, which email? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wasn't wasn't specified. And so I re- reset my wife's thinking, well, I had sent the most recent one. No response to that at all. Hmm. Uh, so the communication with the embassy was pathetic. Uh, we then packed our bags. We each had two suitcases, so we had four bags, packed everything in them except a few things we put in a in a big purse to take on the airplane. We set the bags. And, oh, and the Diamond Princess did, um, at that point, uh, uh, send an email around saying, you have been scheduled to go on the evacuation flight and gave us luggage tags to put on our luggage. Do you know when, what the date of this was? I, I wish I could do okay. this better, but I would say it was about the 18th. I'm looking at a it press may be release. It on the 20th. I'm looking at the press release from the CDC from February 18th. I think it might have been the 18th. Yeah, yeah. And, and the CDC uh, on that, they opposed it so strongly that they said, we don't want our name on it. Yeah. They're saying uh, uh, to protect the health of the American public, all passengers and crew of the ship have been placed under travel restrictions, preventing them from returning to the United States for at least 14 days after they've left the Diamond Princess. Okay. That was a later uh, okay. that, that was later, a later okay. one. Yeah. All right. So, but at any rate, um, uh, so we put our suitcases in the hall with the tags on and they're going to load them on the buses and put them on the appropriate planes. The planes were going some to Travis Air Force Base and some to uh, Texas, uh, forget which uh, Texas uh, location. Um, and Jeannie and I put our coats on, put our masks on so we could walk down the hall. They were asked to put a mask on anytime we were outside of the room and waited for our turn to board the airplanes about eight. 30 at night, something like that. We got a knock on the door and assumed that was our escort to take us out to the gangway. Mm-hmm. A gentleman who didn't speak English um, said, Regina Hopland. And my wife answered, that's me. And he said, you can't leave. You tested positive. Oh, my goodness. So- and, of course, she broke down in tears. Which was uh, unsettling. Was she uh, was she symptomatic at that point? Absolutely none. Okay. And in the in the and the test had been done five days earlier. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so I'd been so I'd been living with an infected person for a minimum of five days, but yeah. probably for you know two weeks. Yep. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And but I, my test was negative. <clears throat> However, I was still living with an infected person for the five days after my test. So yep. who knows if I was negative at that point? Right. And a matter of fact. Who knows who that got on those airplanes was or was not infected? Because 14 people 
I think that was the first results we got from the test was back the day we were leaving. Mm-hmm. And 14 people that got on the buses to go to the airport were found by the time they got to the airport that they had positive tests. Th- then a most amazing activity occurred. Uh, the buses sat on the tar- tarmac for at least three hours, maybe four hours in the middle of the night until about one in the morning, maybe longer. And there were officials outside of the buses shouting at each other. <laughs> and apparently there was a war going on as to whether or not the 14 people who were positive, they couldn't even find out where they were on the buses, uh, could be get on the airplanes. And finally they said, well, we're going to separate those out into a, a um, isolation portion of the airplanes. They've already been on a bus with all these people. Yeah, they've been sitting on the bus the whole time, et cetera. <laughs> I'm going to – we have sound effects on it. <laughs> so uh, the interesting thing about that bus trip was my cousin was with us and my cousin and her husband were on the bus and they called me from the bus and they said we have ladies on this bus that are crying because they have to go to the bathroom and when they ask what they can do they're told to stay in their seats <laughs> Come on. and I said if I was on that bus I'd walk to the front of the bus and I'd pee on the door and if they oh, if they wanted to try to stop me I'd pee on them <laughs> I I just am I'm fed up with 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 unthinking bureaucrats and I I guess that's uh, I I learned that as a child and and I've sharpened that uh thought ever since but uh so they had a hard time they were loaded on to cargo planes that were poorly equipped and uh, you know they we had right there within 20 miles of of tokyo we probably had 30 uh planes that, <laughs> that would haul the whole crew you know c5 yep, sure. uh, 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 cargo planes but but these were some charter aircraft and they were they were very tight so the flight back to the U.S. They didn't have any overhead bins to put their luggage in. They didn't have uh, uh, the seats were very tightly packed um, and uh, and and there was no food on board for the 14-hour flight. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. all rather uh, awkward. But they escaped. Yes. And it was a victory. You're right. I assumed that they were going to turn around and come right back and those people who were not, were able to travel, I think there were two of the Americans at, at that point who were quite sick. And everyone else, most of them were all asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. And there were many, like myself, whose partner was in, uh, found to be positive and chose to stay with their partner. Had I not chosen that, my wife didn't have a phone that was enabled for international calls. She didn't even know how to really use the um, cell phone. And so we immediately got her phone activated and practiced texting, uh, FaceTime, uh, loaded a a translation program and tried to get her prepared to be possibly isolated also a tracking program so I could find out where she was mm-hmm. and uh, and so we spent the next 16 hours doing that meantime we shut our cabin door went back went to sleep that night and um, waited and I thought well perhaps they're just going to leave us on the boat until we get the second flight here and take us off I assumed that yeah uh, what I didn't know is there was a war in Washington in which the CDC blocked the second flight to take the rest of the Americans home. And that that was a disaster. I think there should be some folk who lose their jobs because of this. Because at that point, there was no question about whether this was spreading on the ship. There were now 
several hundred infected folk and grow every day it was a larger number so your feeling is by by delaying or not um, allowing those people to leave and get off the ship that they were just increasing this breeding ground oh just they, they, yeah and it, so it was eventually everybody on the ship would be yeah. uh, would be infected and of course I think three days after um, the rescue flight in fact the Japanese said that's it. This didn't work, and they they evacuated the ships to a really secure, uh, to a secure um, quarantine site, and uh, I was assigned to a dormitory room in Waco, Japan. It's W A K O, and so the C O. But uh, um, and that was a legitimate quarantine. Okay. From that day for the next. Uh, you and your 12, wife together? No. My wife went to, her. well, she was taken to a hospital. Okay. Got it. That was a problem. She was taken off the ship uh, to a terminal building and left there for about three or four hours while they're waiting for other folk to join her. And then four folk who had tested positive. Uh, she said it was an ambulance. It was actually an Army vehicle. She, she was taken to the uh, Self-Defense uh, Force Central Hospital in Tokyo. Uh, and they were let out of that vehicle and into a busy waiting room for an emergency room. And they sat there for two or three hours until they were admitted to the hospital. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I can't make this up. I, I I, think, well, are we sick or are we not? Or are we mm-hmm. going to infect people or are we not or whatever? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I had started a media blitz uh, on agreeing to talk to anyone there was a wall street journal reporter obviously you're here so you'll talk to anyone oh and i appreciate that and i uh (laughs) (laughs) no it's not like that i uh, but you're right i now have a different agenda that i want to get to before i talk about it but um the the intriguing part of that was uh she was then assigned a room with four other folk who had tested positive none of whom were sick um, none of whom had symptoms, mm-hmm. and she actually enjoyed that time. She was with, you know, three other ladies, and although one of them couldn't speak Japanese or English. Uh, she was an Israeli who spoke spoke Yiddish. Nobody knew Yiddish there at all. Wow. So that poor lady was isolated. Boy, Gavalt. And we uh, <laughs> we were able to we were able to have her uh, get on my wife's phone. I put my my cell phone on speaker. We were able to find the cabin where her husband was. And so I dialed that on the ship phone, and I put my speaker against the mouthpiece on the ship phone, and she could talk to her husband. Wow. But he couldn't understand it. She couldn't hear him. Oh, <laughs> it was, wow, yeah. It was a rather... But they <laughs> they uh, um, made noise for a long time, and finally uh, they were contented. And so we did get some communication going. Uh, but it was, it was a, a trial and error process. The boat was... It clearly um, rampantly uh, uh, being infected uh, by a, uh, by an extremely infectious agent with which was very mild in its in its symptoms right the only reason for most that, people the, yeah the, uh, for most people it, it, the, the only reason that genie was even infected at all is they started off and they just tested people who were symptomatic had bad colds okay. and out of that about 25 percent were coming up positive for the COVID virus. Well, then they started realizing that the people at real risk were the elderly and chronically ill. And so they uh, 
tested people who were over 80 years of age, and I think they had gotten through them by day 12 and were now starting down the line. And I was 75, so I hit the next cutoff. So when they came to test me, since Jeannie was 74, she wouldn't have been tested except that they were there anyway, so they uh, they test, test us both. Otherwise, we would have been on that uh, evacuation flight. Yeah. Um, but the process was flawed from the top to the bottom. A GP from a little town in East Tennessee, on day one it was announced, was appalled at the plan, thinking it might last for a day or two till they got a plan in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're going to stick with it. And the CDC's plan was at that point, after 14 days on this ship, quote, quarantine, uh, if we weren't all infected at that point, then we were going to be allowed to get on a commercial airliner and fly back to the U.S. And at that point, we might have to get a quarantine. Right. Now, now I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure what that plan was, but it would have been a disaster. Mm-hmm. And that was what I described in my con- conversation with, uh, with on, in the, on the phone call. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. I'm just looking at the numbers. It says, uh, tests of most of the uh, 3,711 people aboard the Diamond Princess confirmed that 634, or 17%, had the virus. 328 of them did not have symptoms at the time of their diagnosis. And of those with symptoms, the fatality ratio was 1.9%. Of all infected, that ratio was 0.91%. Those 70 and older were most vulnerable with an overall fatality ratio of about 7.3%. Now, this is different than the numbers we keep hearing, you know, 3%, 6%, 15%, whatever. Uh, and what this take what this takes into account though is all the people who are asymptomatic that tested positive, so that actually when you take that denominator, and in and inflate the denominator, actually the mortality the, rate the drops. virility virility is less right 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 and right. in this country as well the virility is overstated because we have no idea how many people in this country are infected at this point right right. right. Uh, on the boat, we had no idea as well because the test was shown to have uh, a lot of 
uh, false negatives. Uh, for instance, my wife went to the hospital and her immediate first test was negative and, oh. and two others that I knew also uh, who had tested positive had negative tests. Yeah. She subsequently had positive tests. So the tests were flawed, and the CDC was correct at this level in rejecting the the um, Japanese tests as final. But they, what they're flawed in was not containing it, yeah. getting us out of there. Yeah. And uh, at this point in time, we have vaccines that are available and are in clinical trials. This is an absurdity in a pandemic. We don't have time for clinical trials. We need to put that vaccine to use, especially amongst medical personnel, so they can continue to treat right. people who are severely ill. But we've got the CDC, or the, as this is the FDA, hold, holding this thing up. Yeah, we reported very early on in this that they had sequenced the um, uh, the um, genetic sequence for the spike protein, and then it had turned around and synthesized the spike protein, which for people who are listening that aren't aware, I'll just digress for a second. If you look in an electron microscope of the um, uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, coronavirus, uh, it's got these little spikes on the outside, and those spikes are the things that attach to these um, uh, angiotensin receptors, and that's how the um, uh, genetic material from the virus then, a- after the, uh, the the outer membrane merges with the cell membrane, is injected into the cell, and then the cell just gets hijacked and starts making these um, uh, these billions of copies of the virus. Now. Uh, that spike protein is a great target for us to develop antibodies to, our bodies to uh, develop antibodies to, and block that uh, virus's ability to uh, uh, latch onto the cells. So when you once you've got those spike proteins, they're not infectious. They are COVID, you know, SARS-CoV-2 parts, but they're not in, you can't get the disease from them. That makes a perfect vaccine. And we had that week one or two. Immediately, yes. And actually, it's kind of like having a name tag. Yes. And you tell your white cells, go after these guys with that name tag. Exactly right. Very easy. And there, I was aware of research being done by Dr. Middleman, uh, and he had a synthetic protein that would bind to the RDR4 receptor in the white cells. And if you attach any particular um, biologic identity, it can become a vaccine. There you go. Uh, a year and a half ago, he was approached by the military regarding the possible use for anthrax and smallpox. Uh, wow. At that point... I got no more information about it. Now, I have a top-secret security clearance, so uh, I, if I wanted to dig into it, I possibly might have been able to, but I didn't attempt to. I just assumed that this has become a military project. Well, now with the COVID virus, I thought, we need to break that out. And so I contacted our top military advisor, um, in which help I got from uh, uh, former Ambassador Haggerty, and again, Phil Rowe and and Dr. Uh, Cadillac. These these are some heroes in this story. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I told him that I thought this was a military project, what could he do? He is the guy that coordinates the Japanese Defense Forces and the U.S. Armed Forces in a threat from North Korea. And he had direct access to the White House. Within an hour, I was talking 
to uh, the group in the White House that was uh, um, uh, that was uh, um, set up to study this uh, under under uh, Vice President Pence, and uh, and that that group, Dr. Middleman's group, was able to present their data on uh, quickly developing a vaccine. Mm-hmm. The problem is that uh, Dr. Middleman had long ago run out of cash, and his 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 research is stalled, and uh, and it takes a billion dollars to bring a drug to market, and he had ten million dollars, which he blew through like a uh, like it's, a kid in a candy store. Right, and uh, so we had potential vaccines on the on the market we had israeli vaccine that had been developed for chicken right. viruses uh, which could easily be modified and uh, and used they were talking about that early on as well the israelis said hey we've got stuff that's analogous to this and we could maybe have something uh, out here very very quickly so they you're confirming that it's very it, it's very easy to develop very hard to get it. so it's available a lot of places in the world but not in the United States because we have a bureaucracy which wants to be 100% certain yeah. in an uncertain world where there are fast changing events we it, talked about the FDA multiple <laughs> times that in times that's actually beneficial for example thalidomide you and I thalidomide are old, is old enough to remember mm-hmm. the FDA prevented thalidomide from hitting our shores and so we didn't have the problems other countries had so in in those situations uh, the caution that the FDA shows is warranted, but in a situation like this, you're saying in the case with a sedative, it's a hindrance. We could we we could live with nervous people right, for right, a short time, right, right, right. But we can't live with dead people, right? And uh, and so even now, uh, there is a major holdup, and uh, and I'm most interested because uh, Dr. Phil Rowe is uh, has been on this from the start has uh, announced his retirement from Congress. And I'm trying to put pressure on Phil to delay that for one more one more period to to run again this fall and so that he can use his expertise and and his seniority and his contacts to uh, address this COVID virus threat. Uh, it, 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 we need him there now and uh, if someone replaces him it'll be a freshman congressman without those contacts and without his expertise sure. and uh, and so we're trying to we're we're trying to push him into let me uh, bite and take bolt. this opportunity to mm-hmm. put out a plug go to roe.house.gov and when you do that it says send me an email and you can send dr phil roe an email saying please don't retire. We need you to get us through this. And then you can resign. Get us through this, then you can resign. But don't. we need you. Because having a seasoned physician, Dr. Rowe has been around for a long, long time, and he understands the problems. Uh, having a seasoned physician in there and being replaced by, I don't know, the mayor of some small town in, in Tennessee, which is probably very uh, capable people. But right now we need people with his voice in there. So roe.house.gov and send them an email saying, hey, we heard you uh, on the radio, or, you know, heard about you on the radio. Please don't leave. Let's do that. All right. I'll tell you a what, national audience. We're that back. is why I'm here today, 
my story is is a is an interesting story with twists and turns. But finding blame isn't really the objective. The objective here is to fixing it. Go go forward. And right now we can't go forward after we have spent a year or two thinking about it. We need to move quickly and decisively. Uh, and I think generally that has been done outside of the bureaucracy. Yeah. But uh, but it's but it's taken folk with with courage to take the bit in their teeth and just charge over top of them. And I see the FDA and the CDC as is so deeply flawed in their in their entrenchment in inability to adapt to the fast changing uh, uh, circumstances. Uh, it was almost like uh, with no plan they were flying by the seat of their pants, and every time they made a decision, they made the wrong one. Uh, I was very frustrated. So what can we do? What can people do who are listening to this right now? Let's let's talk about on a practical level and then more on a political level. Sure, sure. Uh, Well, the instructions that we're getting from everyone is social distancing because this virus is extremely um, infectious. That means you can catch it easily from someone. Uh, You can catch it from droplets from a sneeze or a cough, but the sneeze or cough droplets can settle on a surface, and apparently they can live for up to three days on a plastic or a a metal surface. Uh, Telephones are probably one of the great ones. People put them right next to their face. Sure. And then they put them right next to somebody else, grabs their phone, puts it next to their (laughs) face. Uh, So telephones are probably a great fomite for spreading this uh, infection. And my listeners know what fomites are, by the way. Fomites are anything that uh, uh, in which a uh, bacteria or a contaminant is located, and then you can pick it up by handling that material, which is normally harmless. Handrails, doorknobs, uh, telephones, uh, dinnerware. There are many things like that. And on the ship, uh, you know, uh, buffet line. <laughs> oh, that's not one I can hardly imagine. Well, that, that's that's what you do if you want to infect people. Sure. Uh, yeah, my our listeners uh, after 15 years of this show are very sophisticated and uh, uh, understand fomites and droplet transmission and that kind of stuff. The difference between droplet transmission and airborne transmission. So that's. You know, they're, uh, uh, we we disguise this show, by the way. I know you've never listened to it, and that's probably a good thing, or you wouldn't have come here. <laughs> but uh, we disguise this show as uh, light comedy, but we give excellent, uh, I think, uh, uh, medical information and teach critical thinking as, as well. Or uh, teach isn't the right word, but uh, advocate critical thinking. But anyway. So, so social distancing. So social distancing is critical. Uh, if you're going to get in contact with someone who's got the virus and you don't know who it is, a good way to do that would be to get into a large crowd so you got a good, a good choice of people to get you infected. Right. And so stay out of large crowds. Um, uh, I, I've been able to uh, encourage our church, which has a fairly large uh, congregation, uh, to stop holding services but to have their services live streamed. Yep. Uh, and a lot of churches are doing that same thing. In other churches, at least uh, get, getting people to stop hugging and kissing each other in the hallways yep. and, uh, and and even handshaking, uh, I understand that uh, a fist bump will 
uh, transmit about 10% as much bacteria as a handshake. don't touch each other? Yeah. You know, this, the whole handshake came from ancient Greece. I have no weapon. That's right. <laughs> they, I have no weapon. Let's shake hands. If we touch hands, then there's you uh, can confirm I don't have a weapon. In 2020, we can throw that one away. It is interesting, though, that this this started in a place where people don't shake hands, but I do understand. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, you know, because I've always advocated the bow. Let's just bow to each other or wave or just say hello, and we don't have to do anything else. But it's so ingrained in our culture to shake hands or to touch each other or to hug. Uh, you know, in Europe, they do the double cheek kiss <laughs> stop it let's just stop that but anyway so yes interestingly enough as an er physician i would fire a doctor working for me if he didn't touch the patient i know and uh there's a reason for that it was not because the patient was reassured it was because the doctor then saw that patient as a person rather than as a oh, as an illness or as a problem yes and uh and it changes your attitude and so touch is a very interesting thing, but it ought to be kept between people who uh, really wish to uh, uh, make a more intimate communication than, than just acknowledging each other. Yeah. I like to say that all human communication, 90% of it is simply this. Uh, they talk about the weather, they talk about clothing, they talk about sports, they talk about most anything, but all it's communicating is, I acknowledge your presence, I mean you no harm. Yeah. There's nothing else. You can do that with a nod and a and a and a direct uh, a direct eye contact. Uh, that's why in New York, uh, when people pass on the street, they don't look at each other because they don't want to. What they, what they really want to say is, pay your cab fare or uh, get out of my way. I'm in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so they're not communicating the message, the common message between uh, people who meet in yeah. a casual situation. I do have friends from the city that when they come here, they say, everyone's so friendly. They're so friendly. <laughs> but really what it is is we're just willing to look each other in the eye and acknowledge each other. That's what they're reacting to. Why, of course. And, you know, the interesting thing is I'd never been called honey by anyone but my wife until I got to Tennessee and, 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 and waitresses and, uh, and uh, casual acquaintances uh, addressed me in that way. And I, and I, I would blush a little, you know, and yeah. I'm getting over that. I call everybody honey and sweetheart. <laughs> if I ever moved out of this area, I would be uh, targeted as some sort of uh, some fossil. Kind of, but Yeah, some kind of a dirty old man yeah, or, yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> chasing the young ladies. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think the key is here. What we need to do is, number one, the bureaucracy needs to drop business as usual. This is not business as usual. We're going to have an economic effect that's going to drastically impact our uh, our country. We need to address those issues, and I think they're being uh, attempted to be addressed. Whether it's going to be effective or not is hard to know. Yeah. But folk that own stocks... Don't sell your stocks when they're down. Buy, George, buy them now. Buy now. It's time to buy. Because when it comes back, it'll come back so fast you'll not get on board. For our listeners, if you've ever heard of the Roaring Twenties, that came after the pandemic of 1918. 
And, uh, you know, the stock market, uh, every time we've had one of these, the market takes a dip and then it always comes roaring back. Because fundamentally, there's nothing wrong with the economy. It's uh, fear, but also there are people on uh, certain levels being affected. I just I just gave a waitress at a local restaurant a 100% tip because people are not going to the restaurant anymore and they are suffering. You know, she wasn't sure how she was going to pay her rent because she's not making the money and they're sending people home and those kinds of things. And, um, you know, uh, there will be those kinds of uh, effects on people. It will get better, but it's going to be difficult for a while. That is a really good point. I'm glad you uh, mentioned that because, in fact, those of us who are uh, capable of doing so right now, rather than trying to take advantage of the stock market and uh, and, uh, and building an estate, which our, our uh, heirs will fight over, we should perhaps uh, be taking care of those folk around us Absolutely. who aren't as well um, situated to absorb this uh, this blow. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and, 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 it's, it's, and my, my own experience was I grew up without money, and I, I thought everyone knew how to live without money. I, I find that, uh, that I'm better at it than most. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so you need to take care of the folk around you. There are folk who are going to suffer greatly, and they won't come back because they don't have resources to right. come back. Right. And, and the example of a of tipping a a, a waiter waitress uh, uh, more than you might normally do, I think, is a perfect example of how we should act. Yeah, agreed. Um, so, if you do find yourself sick, what do you recommend? Right now, we don't have enough testing available to, to test. There are commercial tests now. And just uh, came out, but they're they're, they're still yep. not widely available. Yep. And uh, and so the, the real key is that LabCorp this, says anyone can order the test right now. Any physician can order it, or any provider. We, I'm just telling you what they're saying, and that's <laughs> and, and that's what I hear as well. Except that we're not able to do that, and we try. <laughs> and. Uh, the second thing is we need to protect our own employees because uh, always if you're going to help others, you first have to stay healthy yourself. Right. And, uh, and we have an obligation to our employees as well as our patients. And literally, if, if we don't make some quick progress on identifying how to safely handle this thing, we may have to shut down the largest blue care clinic, in the, I think, in the whole state of Tennessee. Wow. Uh, and... Uh, and that's and that just doesn't need to happen because it'll only happen because of slow regulator um, or regulator interference. So how do we then speed this process up? What do we need to do? What do we as people need to do to get the vaccines going, to get the tests mm-hmm. uh, going, to sort of cut through some of this uh, bureaucratic malarkey well to provide we really need to be safe and the way to be safe is number one if you're reasonably healthy uh i hate to say it there is no smoker i know of that's reasonably healthy uh but aside from that if you don't have chronic illness or elderly the chance of getting severely ill is really quite small in fact very small probably Uh, less than one percent if you have no risk factors very yeah it's very low and so what you do is if you have any sign of cold symptoms, fevers, chills, uh, be sure not to visit those folk who are um, at risk. Uh, And so 
the nursing homes right now are, are blocking mm-hmm. visitors, and that's extremely important that they do that, I believe. Yeah. Um, avoiding uh, crowds in which you might uh, spread your infection to others should you be infected. But mostly is if you think you're infected, rather than panic and worry, uh, it's probably going to be a mild illness, very much like the kind of winter colds many of us suffer from. Many of those colds are coronaviruses, which are cousins to this virus. Right. And uh, and so the key is stay home, don't don't socialize so you don't spread the illness, and call a physician to see if they can order a test for you. But it's it it's problematic of whether or not that will be. Uh, available for a little while and uh and by all means don't put other people at risk and especially those vulnerable people that we we all have in our social list if you're going to present to the emergency room for example call them ahead and say hey i i you know i'm i'm coming and i think this is what's going on so that they can be ready out there with a mask to put on you because Mm -hmm. the people who should be wearing masks the people are sick Yes. And uh, that helps to prevent uh, the spreading of droplets. Um, we've also talked on this show, and I'd be interested in your take on it. Uh, for those people that can't stop touching their stupid faces with their fingers, a mask for them is actually quite Keeps effective. their hands off their face. Yeah, Keeps they ought to put a, put a ball cap on as but, well. Keep yeah, their... <laughs> sure. And it can be any, for those people, it can be any kind of mask, a surgical mask. You don't need to steal the N95 mask from mm-hmm. the hospital. Uh, if you're one of those people can't keep your fingers out of your face, any kind of mask will do. A painter's mask, you can wrap a, a T-shirt around your face. <laughs> I, that That is a precisely true because to avoid infecting yourself, every time you touch a surface that someone else may have touched any time within the last three days, yep. Yep. Uh, you need to wash your hands. You need to not rinse your hands in cold water you need to use soap and water and stand there and sing happy birthday four times uh about 30 to 40 seconds worth at least and if you and and hand sanitizer is the next best it's not the best it's the next best soap is the best the soap and water in a reasonable scrub but if every time you touch a surface someone else may have touched in the last three days my word your hands will be uh uh, <laughs> you won't have any fingerprints left. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but wash your hands frequently. Keep them out of your face. That's for your own safety. For the safety of the others, if you sneeze or cough, cough into your uh, into your arm. A, a handkerchief isn't the best thing because you handle it with your hands again, and then you touch things with your hands. Right. Um, but try not to leave potential germs around for other people to contact, especially in the form of a a cough or a sneeze, which can settle on surfaces and stay viable. Uh, I understand that uh, tests have shown this virus can be viable up to three days in a droplet form. I've seen under special circumstances nine days, but three is probably Mm -hmm. the the most common on things like plastic and uh, metal that doesn't uh, reach a certain temperature. Cell phones are cell phones are beauties. Uh, computer keyboards are other beauties. Oh, yeah. If you're at a shared uh, computer, uh, you can't clean that computer. So when you're done with the computer, don't don't rub your nose. Uh, wash your hands. Right. Very good. Anything else you've got to tell us before we uh, close out for the day? All I can say is the the folk in the time diamond princess were assigned an impossible task by bureaucrats in the Japanese health ministry who were not physicians. Japanese physicians were appalled at it. Yeah. When the uh, 
when they evacuated the ship, finally, our CDC said, we're going to make you take another 14 days of of uh, 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 quarantine from the day you left the ship. My, my, my quarantine was reset three times. <laughs> wow. Uh, and, uh, and so they admitted that it was a failure late, but still never really admitted that. They just... Uh, it's it's a frustration to me that they didn't move quickly. They didn't see the facts in front of them. When they saw the facts, they pretended that they weren't real. Uh, And and I think we need to demand more of of our public uh, 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 bureaucratic servants. So write your congressman and demand uh, quicker action on these things? Would that I, be something you would recommend? That would be, and it has to be a knowledgeable congressman because most congressmen, unfortunately, even our president was taking his marching orders from the CDC who stated, we are the experts, we know how to handle this, trust us. Yeah. Whenever somebody says, trust me, trust me, <laughs> trust me, by the time they said it the third time, I, I, I put my earplugs in and don't even listen to what they're saying because I know they don't know what they're talking about. Well, all right, my friend. Well, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad that you are safe. I'm glad your wife's okay. And uh, thank you so much for coming in. I think this is going to be um, um, uh, an ongoing issue, and I think the things that you've said today are going to be helpful to a lot of people. So thank well, you I so much. I appreciate it. Dr. Uh, Arnold Hoplin, general practice in East Tennessee, and going to be uh, pretty much on the national uh, a national. Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A scale? Speak, yeah. Platform or speaking Platform, for. <laughs> thank you. Pretty soon you've got a book coming out as well. Uh, yes. Uh, it, it, the intent of the book initially was I hoped I'd get out fast enough so it could be affect policy. Yeah. Events are un, un, uh, unfolding so rapidly. By the time the book is published, it's going to be a historical novel, not a, <laughs> uh, not right. a uh, directly relevant. Yeah. But it'll be interesting to see what happened, and as we evaluate what went wrong, we can maybe do some proactive uh, uh, planning. Next time, it may be a virus that is not uh, only infectious, but also highly lethal. Right. Should that happen, it's a potential of a virus that is as infectious as this one and lethal could literally take out a third of the world's population in a period of, of three, four, five months. Yeah. And there's no time in three, four, five months to do uh, double-blind studies uh uh, about what we're going to do about it. You have to do things rapidly. Well, maybe this is an opportunity for us to learn. There's still going to be tragedy with this virus. There will be. But uh, maybe uh, this is an opportunity for us to learn how to have a more rapid response to these things so the future tragedy will be uh, mitigated somewhat. You know, on another ho- hopeful note, um, we've had a rather um, uh, rank, uh, uh, a lot of rancor in our political discourse. And there's nothing that can turn enemies into friends as much as having a common enemy. And if we can bind together to defeat this microscopic enemy, it might uh, promote uh, uh, more uh, uh, more positive uh, relationships between people who have different worldviews and have a hard time accepting uh, folk who don't uh, see eye to eye to them on on policies and procedures. Well, it's an equal opportunity infector. It doesn't uh, look at which side of the aisle you're on. You well, know. I'll tell you what. This uh, I've I've enjoyed this conversation a great deal. Yeah, thank you. And uh, thank and you for being I, here. I, I hope that uh, that people are reassured by the fact that most people don't get very sick. 
Yeah. And that is a very reassuring feature. It's very reassuring to me, given that I'm in the higher risk group at my age. I, you've got a few on me. I'm No, I'm not actually in the high risk group, though, because, see, I'm only 21. Now, I've had 54 years experience <laughs> just, of being 21. His hair just turned white <laughs> from the uh, being yeah. on the Diamond Princess. <laughs> That's just bleach from the sun. I lay out in the sun a lot. <laughs> well, thanks to everyone at SiriusXM who steadfast supported this show has sustained us over the years, particularly Lewis Johnson, Jim McClure, Sam Roberts, James Norton, Travis Teft, Troy Henson, Paul Ofcharsky, and Roland Campos. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap and listen to our podcast at riotcast.com or wherever podcasts are found. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, get off your asses and get some exercise. And I'm also going to add, wash your hands and we'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.